0: Hello everybody and welcome to mom of the hard kid today we're going to be talking about those eternal fighters you know those ones that fight you on everything even if it's super stupid when your kid is little and they're like my shirt's pink and you're like no your shirt's green and they're like it's pink and you're like okay fine who gives a crow? it's pink and it, one of those so, I have a reactive attachment daughter. She is my little one, and she is definitely one of these kids. But she is not my only one of these kids. I actually have another one, another one who has oppositional defiant disorder, and she is my 13 year old daughter. Now, don't get me wrong, with both of these kids, there are amazing qualities in both of these children. My oldest daughter is amazingly responsible. She is just really good at seeing the future. And what I mean by that is that, you know, a lot of these reactive attachment disorder kids, they can't see that there's a consequence to their actions. They can't see that there's a future for their decisions. She is excellent at that. But she's very oppositional. She doesn't like to be wrong. And she doesn't like anyone else to be right. (laughs) So I had our first tantrum from her. She was just brilliant. My 13-year-old was just a brilliant baby, so brilliant that I didn't know since she's my first, that other babies weren't this brilliant, right? So, at 6 months old, she has her first tantrum. She doesn't she's playing toys. I pick her up. I bring her to the kitchen to have lunch. She freaks out cuz she wants to play toys and then she has like 45 minute tantrum. And I was like, oh my word, what am I going to do with this? like, ah, six months old. When she was four months old, she bit me because she didn't want to be next to me. So she would bite me. So she's always kind of had like this idea of she wants it her way, that kind of thing. Well, our first fight, and I feel like I've talked about this before, but I can never tell. Um was when she was under a year old. So she started talking really early. She was speaking full sentences, little ones like I see cat, I see a cat when she's 12 months old. Okay. So she's using words when she's 10 months old. Again, she was really smart. She just caught on really fast. So here she is, she's probably about 10 months old, I could verify it, but it doesn't really matter. And she's, we're inside the house. I'm sure I've talked about this. And above the house comes a helicopter. And she looks at me and she goes, airplane. And I said, no, helicopter. She's like, no, airplane. No, helicopter. Because for some stupid reason, I was like, no, she needs to know this is a helicopter. (laughs) And she's like, eh, pain. Anyway, it was this ridiculous fight. And I was not backing down. Because for some reason, I thought, she needs to know for factual reasons, this is indeed a helicopter. Because we lived in a helicopter zone where the helicopters flew over all the time from the hospitals and stuff. And so (laughs) it was the dumbest fight, I will admit. But this is kind of how... I operated from the very beginning of parenting. So as time went on, I end up getting this reactive attachment child. And this reactive attachment child will be mean on purpose. And she will be defiant on purpose. And she will make anything into a fight on purpose. So here's what I did. With the first child took me forever to learn this I'm not even sure I learned this but with this last child I didn't have any more energy in my tank so what I realized through research and observation is that there is a dopamine chase that happens now I have oppositional defiance and so I recognized when they're talking about this dopamine chasing for fighting I was like oh yeah like when I'm in an argument and I am winning, I am so powered up. <laughs> I'm so happy. I feel so good. And I'm like, yes, this is the best. And so, what is happening, I believe, as just a mom, that these kids are dopamine chasing that high you get when you're right. And they will hit this point where they don't even care if they're right. They just will be happy if they can prove you wrong. So if they outlast you, then they win. If they confuse you, then they win. If they make you feel bad, then they win. And then they're like, I won. And it's like this huge dopamine release for them. And that's what they're chasing. So when I'm observing this in my daughter and what really happened is not very pleasant. I sort of went into this massive depression where I couldn't even respond. But I found that when I didn't respond, she didn't get her dopamine release, and it wasn't as fun for her. But what that looked like is she would say, and she still does this all the time, drives me crazy. So let's say for the example, she doesn't get treats, say that she's been grounded from treats, and she doesn't get them. And then she's like, Mom, can I please, please, please have a Tootsie Roll? And I'm like, no, you can't. Why won't you ever let me have them? And she'll just get in this fight. She'll she'll pick many different tactics. So sometimes she continues trying to be sweet. Sometimes she's just argumentative. Sometimes she tries to find like reasons why she shouldn't have this punishment this one time. It, the list goes on. This girl can try every angle. I often refer to her as the velociraptors in Jurassic Park, where they're like, they'll check for weaknesses in the fence. And I'm like, yeah, that's her for sure. She's checking for those weaknesses. But what I do is I will shove it back to her. And this is a huge, important thing, I think, for any child, but it's a gigantic one for these kids with uh, reactive attachment disorder or oppositional defiance disorder, or mood disorders, or all of the things. So what I would say is, you know, mom, can I have a Tootsie Roll? And I'd be like, I'm sorry, you have definitely not earned a Tootsie Roll. And I would put it back on her. Because if I was making it her responsibility, then she didn't have as much to fight over. And if she really had been in a behavior that was good, I could say, you know what, you've been really good lately. I'm not giving you a Tootsie Roll because you do terribly with sugar and you're grounded, but you can have this bag of chips or something like I, there was always an option I could give her if she was being good, which for a long time rarely happened. (laughs) But going back, always shift it back. You're such a jerk, mom, you won't let me do this. Well, I will when you earn it, you can have it when you earn it. I'm not giving it to you at this point, because you have not earned it because your behavior was bad. This was a game changer. Never take it upon yourself when the child needs to learn personal accountability, personal responsibility. It is so good for them. And don't deny them this opportunity when it also saves your sanity. Also, I think it is a really good time to bring up real feelings during these conversations. So my example here is my daughter wanted to go to a birthday party. Now, birthday parties terrify me. She gets overstimulated. She gets crazy. And then she gets super mad that she doesn't get to have her the cake or whatever that's there. It is a disaster slash nightmare. So I say to her when she's like, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Can I go? And I say, you know what? You do terribly at birthday parties. You get too hyper. I won't, mom. I promise. I won't. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. And then then I say, you know what? You're going to have to show me in other times that you can actually control yourself in high hyper type situations before I'm going to allow you to go to this kind of birthday party. No, mom, no, sorry. You have not shown me this in the past. So I'm not going to allow you to do this. But if you can change your behavior in those situations, then I will absolutely let you go to parties in the future. But I will, mom, we're not talking about this anymore. We're done. Until you have shown me, I am not going to allow you to do this because of your behaviors in the past. And sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll hit this 30 minute, but I won't another chance, please, please. <laughs> we'll hit that for a very long time. But I just, I'm not wrong. I'm speaking factually. She does genuinely not do well in those situations. And I genuinely am willing to let her develop and let her do something better in the future. So I can rely on the fact that I am speaking non-emotionally, I'm speaking factually, and, and then it ends. And sometimes I do have to say, hey, little lady, enough. I'm not talking about this anymore. I've already told you every piece. If you'd like to go sit on your bed and think about it, you're welcome to do that. Now, sometimes this does not work and you end up with the kicking and the screaming and the throwing things and all this stuff. I mean, these kids have the emotional control of a tornado. So sometimes that's going to happen. But what I'm trying to do with my daughter is say, you know what? You are going to have to learn personal responsibility by the time you're 18. You're going to have to learn that it's part of life. You're going to have to learn that your actions have consequences. And sometimes those consequences are bad if your actions are bad. And you're going to have to learn these things. And I would rather you learn them when you're younger than have to try and start teaching them to you when you're older. Now, some of you have kids who are already older, and I think that it's fair to sit them down and say, I know this hasn't been how you have been raised. But if I want you to be a successful grown-up when you are 18, you're going to have to learn these things younger. Do you want to be a successful grown-up when you're 18? Would you like to be able to live on your own at some time? Would you like to be able to have a family? Would you? Because a lot of these reactive attachment kids I found actually have a really strong desire internally to have a family because in their minds, I think there's this built-in love obligation with a family of their own. And when you look at the responses of people on the Reactive Attachment Parent Support page, and they talk about how the the people who look like they've gotten over it tend to be the ones who have a family in the future. So there is a really strong desire in a lot of these children to have a family, even though they don't really know what that means. So when you say, hey, if you would like to have this, then I need to help you be the most healthy person that I can help you be. I need you to, I need to help you to be the most responsible person I can help you be. Because I want that for you. And right now, if I give in to these things, these stupid things that end up having you constantly repeat the same issues, and the same bad habits, then you're not going to achieve this other thing in the future. Now, I know some of you are like, whoa, that's a little heavy handed. My kid's only six. (laughs) I'm going to tell you if your kid has reactive attachment disorder, if your kid has disinhibited social engagement disorder, if your kid has oppositional defiance disorder, if your kid has the explosive, I think it's called DMDD, but I forget what it stands for at this moment. If they, oh, it's like a mood disorder. If they have these things then they really need to have the future pushed in front of their face to say there is a future that is going to happen and your actions actually impact the future. Because especially with reactive attachment disorder, kids, there is a disconnect. They can see a future and it's imaginary and it's like not tethered to reality at all. And it's going to be amazing because every reactive attachment disorder, has better people outside of the house has, they're going to be a billionaire. They're going to ha- never have to work a day in their life. They're going to have everybody always want to give them stuff. Like there's just a disconnect from reality that happens with these kids. And when you have a child that has serious needs, you need to get them in a place where they can learn to put the ground underneath their feet instead of just having them float around in whatever imaginary World that they create for themselves. I think the imaginary creation world is fairly, you know, common with most kids, but I think that regular children, and I say that meaning they don't have these types of issues, I truly don't think there's a quote unquote regular child on this planet, but I think we're all unique and I think it's great. But when you have these kids with these serious issues, I think. Just like if you had a child who had really low muscle tone, you would really focus on getting them their muscle tone, right? Or if you had a child that could not read, you would focus in on that area and try to get them to learn to read because you know, as an adult, how critical it is to have your child be able to read when they're adults. Is it the most important thing on the planet? No, but you know that it will make their life better if they learn how to read better. And with a child with low muscle tone, there are plenty of people who have no muscle tone who are wonderful on this planet. But you as an adult know that it is better to be able to have muscle tone. It's just a An easier part of life. And of course, you would want that for your child. So, when your child has these serious mental issues, these mental issues with, in our case, reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder, attention deficit disorder, when they have these issues, then it is absolutely critical to, as early as possible, to get them to realize that they are accountable for their actions a lot of kids with ADHD just tend to, you know, chase that dopamine. They tend to have no inhibitions or very little. And they tend to only think of the now and not think of the future. So that in a way is like a a muscle that needs to be built up. Because when they are older, and they still are chasing that dopamine, and they're still uninhibited, then they're going to chase the wrong things. A lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of dangerous behaviors. A lot of kids who are start out in these areas tend to fluctuate into the borderline personality stuff and into the antisocial personality things because sometimes these behaviors, you know, kids sometimes grow out of them and other times they grow deeper into these Behaviors. If you cannot get your child into a better mental state, some of the kids then spiral into a worse one. Now, I know, I know, parent, you're probably like, holy cow, stop talking about this. Talk about happier, hopeful, like hopeful things. I want good things for my kid. And this is where I'm going to say, this is a good thing for your kid. This is is that little step that you get to take that will benefit that kid. So when you are saying, hey, Tommy, I know that you're 17 years old. Here's your timeline for the future. Here is what I want for you. You're welcome to tell me what you want for yourself. But I am going to do these behaviors to try and make what's best for you by the time you're 18. And they might not understand. They might not But you can give it to them honestly, tell them exactly why you're doing it that way, and then say, so the reason I am making this action is because I want what's best for you when you are 18. And I have used these words when my child was three years old, because that is when things were hardest. That is when I'm zoning out. That is when I am disassociating, and that is when I am having to really fight myself to keep going in the morning, you know, to be like, okay, I have to parent her still. I have to do this. And, and I, and I had to approach it in this way. Now, a lot of people think that parenting kindly means sugarcoating things means shoving things out of your child's view. And um, letting your child kind of run their childhood. I completely disagree I think parenting kindly means telling them why you're doing the things that you're doing so that they can wrap their head around it. And if you explode, which I don't know who doesn't explode sometimes, maybe somebody out there that's really amazing. But if you explode, then explaining to your child why you exploded. Explaining to them, hey, I'm so sorry. I've reached the end. I know you know what that feels like. I am sorry that I did it. Let's start over and try again. And then when they explode, you can say the same thing back to them. You can say, hey, I know you reached your limit. We need to try again. You know, this, this, I have one of my kids whom I won't even tell you which one, not my youngest, explodes like 19 times a day. <laughs> and the, I understand exploding. There are times when the most random times someone will do that one thing and then I'm like, rah, like, it! I've asked you to stop. Like it, it's amazing. And so, and I'm just kidding. It's not amazing, but so she will do this so much. And I try to be understanding and I try to correct her behavior and I try to do all these things. And she'll say, but you do this. And I'll say, I know, but I don't do it 18 times a day. I do it once every 18 days. Like I don't do it This often, we need to be able to figure out how to make this less. This is important that we reduce the amount of times you do this. So when your kid is arguing with you, it is best to put the responsibility back on them in a very factual manner. So if you're getting upset, you are going to feed into their dopamine. You're going to feed into their need and desire to continue to fight because fighting gives them that. Emotional high. Now, if they were wolves, this would be a very beneficial thing for them. Or if they lived, you know, in the caveman times, then it would be a very beneficial thing for them to be able to constantly be able to compete with anybody around them. But in our society today, it doesn't work out in the same way when you're a kid. Now, I will even tell my children the traits that drive me crazy about you are going to be great when you're a grown up. I want you to have these traits. I just want you to know how to use them correctly. Because when my daughter, the oldest one is fighting me, and she wants it her way, and she wants it her thing then I can see that in the future, there will be times when that will be an absolutely wonderful thing for her to be able to do. But she needs to be able to harness it. And she needs to be able to use it for good things. And that is what I tell her. And to be open and honest about it is a really important way to raise these children. These children have communication shoved in their face nonstop. It's not like 100 years ago, where, you know, you sent your child out to play, and maybe they had a friend or two who talked to them. These kids are given concepts and understandings from when they're watching all these little movies when they're babies. And so they understand these things. So use that to your advantage and help them understand what they need to do in the future, why this kind of behavior isn't going to be helpful for them for a job, it's not going to be helpful in friendships, unless they harness it in a better way. So you don't have to make them feel bad about the fact that they are this way. I think my oppositional defiance has helped me a lot in my adulthood. But I think that you can say, you got to harness it in a better way. This is not that way. Because each kid in all their different ways brings a unique and wonderful thing to the world. We need our shy kids. We need our out loud kids. We need our oppositional kids. We, we don't need the bullying. We don't need the fighting. But we do need our strong-willed children. And we need our tender-hearted children to make the world the good place that it is possible to be. But I know when you're raising your kids in the moment, just because they're wonderful doesn't make them not difficult. So I wish you all the best. Thanks so much for joining me.